0: This episode is being sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. They are fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and providing accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. I was so concerned about how I was going to feel about this connection and was I going to feel so weird that I wasn't the one on the table and wasn't getting the embryo and then seeing the embryo on the screen. And I am telling you, not a moment of sadness, not a moment of emotion other than fear. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi everyone, I'm Tara Lipinski.
1: And this is Todd Kapastashi.
0: And you are listening to the 12th episode of Unexpecting.
1: So we're doing a little experiment on this episode. We went 11 full episodes without a Sullivan Lipinski (laughs) Kapastashi appearance, (laughs) but... As we were starting, I said to Tara, it's usually her, one of her jobs before we start the podcast is to make sure Sullivan is like upstairs. We actually...
0: Kind of block him off. It's
1: such a low budget way to do it. We Makes bring shift. dining room chairs and put them at the top of the stairwell. And then
0: stairwell. We, lay, we lay a blanket over top of it. So it and, looks like a wall. Yeah, so we fool him. So <laughs> he's always
1: up there and you can maybe hear his little whines because he wants to come down. But well, Tara, what's so
0: funny is he can just go underneath, but the blanket kind of throws yeah, him
1: off. Yeah, he doesn't want to do it. It scares him. Um, but he's... The, free. He's free right now. Roman so free. If he comes down, he's going to make an appearance. We're just going to ignore him because yeah. if you don't, he's going to make a scene. So <laughs> <laughs> just ignore here him. Here we go. I mean, what do you think the chances are? I don't know where he is. I, don't, I can't believe he's not down here. Yeah. He's into something bad. That's what that Yeah, means. he's out <laughs> digging a hole in <laughs> the <something>. dirt. <laughs> so on a much more serious note. On the last episode of Unexpecting, we probably got the worst. I mean, we keep saying this every episode. Probably got the worst <laughs> news on the last episode. But this truly was, maybe not the worst, but it was, I don't know. It was the sort of most enlightening in some ways, I suppose, news that we've gotten on this journey. And it was that we had finally, after you know, years now, years and years and years of trying to understand our issue um, and doing seemingly every test we could possibly do, we had finally done immune testing And, you know, essentially, the doctor had called and said, hey, I have your results, and it's not great. You and Todd are sort of mismatched in terms of your DNA, and it could be, you know, presenting some problems with these pregnancies sticking and continuing these pregnancies. So, you know, I know this is hard, and we're not pretending to be experts on this, so... Doctor Lipinski if, well, here. Well, I was going to say, if you <laughs> want like real information, like ask your doctor, go online and do some research for yourself. But you know so much about this now too, so just explain what, how the doctor explained what our issue was and and why this may have you know led to a lot of the complications we were having.
0: Immunology is kind of difficult and complex to to truly articulate and understand. So I think you know we spoke to several different doctors that specialized. In immunology about this, especially in reproductive immunology. And, you know, first he said, think about it this way, Tara, your body is seeing Todd's DNA and genetics in that embryo as a foreign body. So you're essentially, you know, rejecting the pregnancy. And, you know, we talked to another doctor and she was like to break it down. And she tried to make it really sweet, which I liked, (laughs) but she was like, You guys fell in love out of all the people in the world. You two found each other and fell in love, and it was a perfect match. And then you guys were lucky enough to make beautiful embryos, and they are a perfect match. And then unfortunately, this next step was not a perfect match. And that when these embryos are trying to implant and continue through a successful pregnancy, that's where you run into issues. And it's kind of sad. And I think the way to really think about it is, you know, when someone needs a kidney, you just don't randomly just throw someone else's kidney at them and hoping that your body doesn't reject it. Or if you need bone marrow, you want to make sure that you have a good match.
1: Yeah. It's not exactly how it works, but conceptually that's what it is. Your body is not necessarily treating the embryo as a foreign body necessarily, but it's just making it harder for the embryo to get past these sort of Week five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, those steps.
0: Right. And I think what is happening is it's it, it has to do with your immune system and how it's, it's accepting the embryo. So to be a little bit more scientific, it's like my uterus has to recognize the antigens on the embryo, which contain your DNA. And then your body then sort of goes through this process to allow certain mechanisms for a pregnancy to continue successfully to happen. And when my body was seeing your genetics and seeing your DNA, those mechanisms that should normally happen were not happening. And again, that's just the point of sort of the pregnancy was not continuing in a strong way. And my body was, you know, essentially, it's awful to say this, trying to get rid of it. Like,
1: I mean... Your body was basically telling you like, hey, I know you made this decision to marry this guy, right. but like I recognize how asinine it is for a guy at the end of a first date to jump up and touch the door. Yeah, so it was like making the decision like, for you. Like yeah. this isn't the DNA we want in our body. Right. Let's try something else.
0: I- <laughs> I never thought about it that way, (laughs) but I feel like it's, it's kind of sad. It's almost like
1: your uterus is smarter than you.
0: (laughs) It kind of makes me sad though, because obviously we were getting pregnant almost every single time. So my body was recognizing my own DNA and then it just wasn't making it past that next step because, you know, obviously it's half and half and I don't know, we just got (laughs) this combination And this is sort of our answer now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing for me, and I think you struggled probably a little bit with this too, maybe not, is that it is a complex issue. And also the fact that like, you know, a lot of the the clinics, fertility clinics don't necessarily worry about it or recognize it even to a certain degree. And so you know, five years, four and a half years in, we get this news, and then the doctor's explaining it to us, and the doctor's a brilliant man. Yes. He's, he's
0: Dr. Vidali, I love him so much. Explaining
1: it to the best of his ability, but it's a little bit of an ab- abstract sort of concept. Not abstract in the sense of, yeah, I get it, like you, organ transplants, like rejects it, but, you know, part of me was like, okay, like... I'll take your word for it. It's like a lot easier when it's like, oh, I see a scan where there's a piece of skin on your uterus. You have a septum and it's preventing right. like blood flow. Like that made sense to me. I think this one...
0: He has to really talk it through to us for us to understand because I mean, again, I mean, some of the words he was throwing out like care and maternal killer cell and, HLA and, and natural and- killer cells and you know, immunology, like I, I said a few minutes ago, it's, it's like you said, it's not just, oh, I see this on a scan. It's really complex. It's hard to understand. And um, we definitely needed the layman's terms to really get it. Um, But I think, you know, I don't know how you felt. I I, I think I was definitely disappointed that we waited this long to take this test. Well, So why do
1: you think it took so long for us to get here?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, now I've done like a really deep dive into all of this stuff because it's fascinating to me because I would I would see, you know, Instagrams and people talking about immunology and people talking about, you know, I would have never been pregnant without finding out that I had, you know, issues with reproductive immunology and then took steps with treatment and people, you know, are out there singing its praises, but for some reason inside the clinics, it's not that way. And I think some clinics are, and I think the, the issue is, is first medicine is technological and IVF. Is technological. And I think we're kind of led to believe that because of that, that IVF is highly scientific and that, you know, there's no unknowns. You just have all of these different diagnoses that you can fix. And doctors know exactly what to do for each individual person when you are struggling with infertility. And that's just what I'm realizing not the case. There's so many unknowns in infertility. And I think. You walk up to the i v f door, and everyone is kind of using the same protocol around the world. Everyone uses pretty much the same protocol, and most people get pregnant. so it's it's a slam dunk. It's great. All these people are getting pregnant. But then there's this subset category of people that are not getting pregnant. And I think there isn't as much emphasis and and attention to detail and figuring out why these people in this smaller subset aren't getting pregnant. And that's when you run into a problem because, you know, you talk about these what the fuck appointments after a failure. And I'm sure the doctors are like, oh crap, like, I don't know exactly what went wrong. And so a very common answer is like, it's nature or it just was bad luck, especially when there isn't a very specific diagnosis. I will, you know, preface, there are some infertility diagnoses that, have very specific protocols to follow. But when you're in the unexplained category, it's really different. So I think you're in these appointments and you're like, why didn't that work? That was a genetically normal embryo or, you know, what is the next step? And I think there's two approaches. It's either like, let's do the same thing and not change a single thing. And we just hope we hit the jackpot one of these times, or it's well, let's add a medicine here like Lovenox or aspirin or whatever it is and see if that changes anything. But do we really know what the problem is? And especially when people are having repeat loss.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with your point about, I think this, is, this occurs with like a lot of medicine and even just like other avenues of life where you have like customers who like, are 90% of the population that like wants your product or want this service right. and you know how to handle it. Yeah. And they come in and in IVF in particular, like 90% of people I'm making up that percentage, but a large percentage come in after a few attempts, they get embryos, they implant them, they may get pregnant, or maybe they find out like a very specific problem that they right. have and they can't have kids ever, right. whatever it is. But then you do have this 10% that like goes on for year two, <laughs> year three, year four, year five, and it's unexplained, which is a problematic term because it's explained by something. Something. Eventually it just might be many things or one thing that, you know, we don't know or an aggregate of things or whatever. But, you know, I think the other issue too, that relates to all this is that like these doctors can't like learn every subset of like what could be the problem. So it's like, I don't know, do like all fertility doctors are the experts on like, Immunology? Like, I don't know. Well,
0: no, that again, actually, this is a perfect example of, I think, a problem in this area. Look, I think immunology and especially reproductive immunology, there's not that much research and all these studies around it. And the more that people will actually put time and research and energy into it, then I think you'll bring the doctors in and make them realize, oh my goodness, we need to start testing for this right away. Like for example, and not to get in the weeds that, you know, we took a test called an ERA that would measure how much progesterone is needed before a transfer. And that is now very common, right? But there's a lot of controversy around that test because there's studies that say it doesn't really matter. And then there's people that don't get pregnant until they take this test and change their protocol. So, you know, it's not a perfect study that a doctor can have, but it's now very commonplace to take that test. We took that test. And reproductive immunology is not there quite yet. And I think once it gets there, I think it could change you know, so much for so many people because I truly do wonder what would have happened to us, you know, if we tested for this, you know, after miscarriage two. And then just one other point about the doctors is think about it. When you go to your IVF doctor, they're not an immunologist. They didn't study immunology. Well, that's What <laughs> I was going to say
1: is just like, I don't envy IVF doctors who are, in charge of sort of sifting through all this new data and new studies. And I'm sure even with immunology, there's all these like peer-reviewed studies and research that they have to say like, okay, I'm going to read through this and like, does this make sense to me? Like, is this something I want to talk to my patients about? Do I think this is actually what's going on with some of my patients? Like it's an ever-changing landscape probably. So, And
0: it's hard because I think... You know, reproductive immunology right now, there's, you know, incredible doctors all over the country, but it's sort of like, again, these other areas, specialized areas of medicine, like endometriosis. I don't know the exact stat, but I think it's something crazy, like only a hundred excision, endo excision specialists in the United States, which is just, when you think about how many people are suffering from endometriosis, you think there'd be a lot more. And the same thing with reproductive immunology, there's not that many, you know, doctors and you have to search them out and then they would have to collaborate with your IVF doctor to really, you know, figure out a plan. Because like you said, I mean, how many IVF doctors could be specialized in, you know, the millions of things that could go wrong in pregnancy?
1: (laughs) But yeah, but we even saw in my last point on this is like, I mean, think about our journey and going through it. So we talked in episode maybe one about like we were kind of killing OBs where it's like, why don't OBs like tell people in their 30s to like freeze eggs or test for fertility or do this or do that? And it's like, well, because an OB has a certain job and went to school for eight years to do that job. And he goes into the office and does that job every day. He can't know everything about like, every single part of reproductive health or be, uh, you know, an infertility specialist. So then you go to a fertility specialist and then you have that person who's like not an immunology expert. And then you go for an endosurgery and like in one of our cases, one of the endosurgeons kind of said to us directly, like, hey, I'm not... Like, that's for your doctor to interpret my surgery. Like, I'm not really a fertility fertility expert. So, like, I can go and clean out some of the endo, but and I can see some stuff on your uterus, but I don't necessarily know what that means because I went to school for X amount of years to do surgery. So, I think the problem is, and we're being probably overly critical, maybe, like, the medical system in this sense, but, like, these things are difficult, and you have to study them, and you have to have, like, such a a grasp of your little niche in medicine. So... But that does create a disconnect for people like us who may not know, you know, we may fall in this unexplained fertility and you're jumping around to a lot of different like little slivers of of categories. Right. So.
0: I feel like, yes, that sums it up. Infertility, unexplained infertility. It could be a million different things from many different areas of specialized medicine. And it's like, how are we all supposed to know You know, each and every one of
1: them. So you know what I'm going to propose here, Tara? Huh? I think this is going to be life-changing for a lot of people. What? Maybe this is like a new business for us. Oh, okay. I'm going to start a school that you apply to when you're 18. Okay. To get into it. And you end up graduating when you're 52. Okay. So it's around... you know, twenty-five years of right. schooling and uh-huh. basically you learn how to be an OB, a fertility doctor, an a surgeon, excision specialist. A heart surgeon just in case yeah, just- a, a bowel, you know, <laughs> yes. surge a gastro person. Yeah. You just kind of learn everything in medicine for, you know, 25, 30 years, and then maybe you can discover for un- unexplained yes, fertility, fertility will be infertility. Exactly.
0: Anymore. I mean, that's the thing. Like I we laugh about it, like everyone saying like a baby, you know, it's a miracle because I feel like it just kind of is. There's just so many different things that have to work perfectly to make it happen. Yeah,
1: I mean, we are joking, but it is like a testament also just to doctors and this crazy stuff that they have this sort of intimate grasp on. But like we, you know, throughout our journey, we tapped you know, five, six different specialists who all went to school for a decade to learn all this stuff and we still had trouble finding our issue. So it's, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a crazy world when you're trying to find an answer and when there's a lot of possible answers. Yes. So just to stop down for one second and take like a step back because I think this is important. On mm-hmm. um, the last episode, when we were talking about this diagnosis, we kind of referred to it, I think, as like dire, like a dire diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, And not that it isn't, but there are treatments for it and people can actually still get and stay pregnant with our sort of type of mismatch, right?
0: Yes. So there are treatment options. There's no slam dunk, let's fix your issue option, which is probably a little frustrating. And the doctor kind of talked us through that, that there's these treatments like IVIG infusions where...
1: They're just basically blood infusions, right?
0: Yeah. it's, It's kind of crazy. They take many, 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 many people's blood and, you know, they separate it out and they use the blood serum and then, then they do these infusions and it takes a couple hours and you do them every two weeks. You and-
1: have to go to Romania to get it done <laughs> where all the vampires are.
0: <laughs> and then, you know, your, your hope is that your body, you know, blocks these antibodies, And that after these infusions, that then I would be able to accept our, you know, joint DNA embryo and my, my body, my immune system, my body wouldn't freak out. And again, try to get rid, essentially try to end the pregnancy. Um, And I think that, you know, with these treatments, they're, they're well studied. They use IVIG for, you know, other conditions. This happens every single day. It's very safe. It's, um, it is blood product, but you know, if anyone is thinking about this, it is safe, but you know, there was a lot for me hearing that.
1: Well, I was gonna say, like when you heard that was the yeah. treatment. <laughs> I was like uh,
0: <laughs>
1: what were you thinking?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I preface that with exactly, you know, what but the like Tara's
1: like, guys, if you're listening out there, this is very safe. I would just never fucking do. it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you guys knock yourselves knock out. <laughs> out.
0: Um so it's just you know, it, it did. It was you know a lot to take in, and then you know other options are high dose um, steroids. You know, prednisone. I've taken prednisone through transfers. Well, yeah, and I mean, also you
1: took steroids for you know the ten years when you were competing. Oh in yeah, I mean that's, that's how I got. <laughs> that's how I won the Olympics.
0: I mean, do you know how many people that are going to listen to this and somehow like take that? Very as- <laughs> used to
1: steroid taking. Don't worry, we got Balco on oh, speed dial. Man.
0: But anyway, yeah, I could take high dose steroids and there were options that significantly could up our chances. You know, he said it could even be you know, it could double our chances of pregnancy or, you
1: know. Well, what's the percentage if you have it and you don't treat it? it did he give us he, that? He
0: didn't, I can't remember if he gave us the exact percentage, but he said something that I'll never forget. He was like, you know, there is a study that they said there, you know, there are a small percent of people that do get pregnant after five years, even with this combination. Um. So I was like, well, we almost made the five years. Well, and-
1: but also like a <laughs> weird stat because it's like, well, how often were they having I mean, sex? Yeah, were they getting pre- How <laughs> often were they getting pregnant? Yeah, yeah.
0: And, um, but obviously, just this just is you know a difficult diagnosis, and the treatment options. Obviously, there are some, but as you can see, they're not perfect.
1: Well, the weird thing for us too, and I, I, I bet you felt this way, is like if this was like year one and they told us this, I guarantee we would have just like done it.
0: Done it. It was interesting the the way that I processed the information he was telling us was so different than at any other point in our, and I don't know if you noticed that. I remember sitting on the couch, we were like in front of the fire. It was like near Christmas. And usually like if some doctor told me you have a septum or you have this test that was wrong, all the things we we've told you about in this podcast I would be on the phone 2.5 seconds later calling, ordering medication. I already would already have like, you know, I would be running to the pharmacy to pick up the medication that night. I feel like it was interesting looking back. I don't know if you noticed that. Just, I kind of didn't jump on it. I just kind of like sat there. I was like, okay, I'll I'll talk about that tomorrow Do you. I mean, I have a (laughs) hypothesis for this. That is like a
1: big, longer discussion maybe for later. I don't know. But I think- You felt like this was a very good, like 1A reason why we had been going through this for five years. I think you were, it was a weight lifted a little bit. And I also think it was great that it, like, was neither of our faults individually. That, like, and couples probably struggle with this if it's a sperm issue or if it's like a this issue, like couples like blaming each other for stuff. I think, like, us knowing that it was like this weird genetic thing that our great, 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 great grandparents or, you know, some monkey somewhere (laughs) that we evolved from, it's like their fault. I think maybe it was just like a, a sort of exhale a little bit somehow. Yeah. I
0: I think it, it was an exhale. I mean, I have thoughts on this now. This is, I always love when we get in the podcast and we, we don't talk about these things beforehand. And I, I don't think you tell me, hopefully your answer would be the same as me, but I truly think that, if it was male factor infertility, like I would have never cared. And No, but
1: we, I'm saying actually probably the reverse. I'm saying like, if it was male factor, I would have felt like responsible and I would have dealt with that, you know, right. in my own way, in my own right. brain of like, how do I like retelling myself, Todd, right. hey, this isn't your fault. Like this is just right. biology right. and like Tara loves yeah, you. It's a medical issue, care. yeah. But I still think like if it would have been something specifically, on your part of like why we weren't maybe even getting able to ever have a child. I think that would have like been hard for you to deal with. Right.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It's like, I felt like my body was failing me, but I don't know. Maybe again, the athlete thing, like you get injuries and you lose out on competitions. And if you were to blame yourself for those things, you know, that would be, you know, impossible to get through. So I I don't know. I've never really blamed myself for these conditions because they feel like medical conditions. But maybe that's, like I said, back to like when you're an athlete and your coach is like, it's not your fault that...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just thinking about if it, it, in my own, like even when my fever and it was my sperm and you start to like go in your head and you cycle through like, okay, like what if a year from now, it's like, Todd, your like sperm is just not going to ever work to make a child. I would have, of course, been like beating myself up over that, I think.
0: Well, I would have fixed that for you. But I think like, you know, the interesting do I call it sweet? (laughs) But like the interesting thing about it, it made me feel bonded to you when we got this news because it was just this thing between the two of us was like, I don't know. I felt closer to you because it's our thing. And Like, I'm going to go, like, you're going to go find a new wife to have a baby with, or I'm going to be like, oh, Todd, like, our genetics aren't working. I'm going to go get pregnant with this guy over here. You know, like, that's, it's so funny to like, that's, this was like us. It was like something, again, hard to hear, hard to go through, but it was like our thing and it felt weirdly sweet.
1: So I think it's like really important at this point in the podcast, 11 episodes in now we've been tracking the sort of fertility mystery for gosh I don't know 10 11 hours at this point talking about all these things so I mean I think we sort of have an answer right I, I guess I'm just asking for you to kind of articulate from episode one to now I guess what explains all the problems we had
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you go from the very start of it and we had a lot of problems. I had endometriosis and I think that that was challenging to figure out the right protocol. And we eventually got there and we did a surgery and then you get past that hump. And then, you know, we move on and we find a septum, which is, you know, a hindrance to pregnancy. And that was something that we didn't discover till later on. So we had all these, I mean, I would call just like, unfortunately, bad luck hiccups that we had to get through. But I feel like once we got to pregnancy, right? Like we learned all these, like we talk about it, data points, like we can make genetically normal embryos. It took a while. We can get pregnant. It. We got pregnant quite easily many times. But the one area that we couldn't conquer, or that was like a blaring, you know, red flags just like in front of my face. Was that we went through six transfers where implantation occurs. We had a natural pregnancy where we got pregnant, and then we had four miscarriages, and all four miscarriages happened in the exact same way. Not one was different. Not one was a chemical. Not one was a week later. It happened on the same day, every single time. And I think like when I talked to Dr. Vidali, it finally in my mind just sort of made sense. He's like, look, if you're miscarrying, and maybe this is, you know, interesting for people that don't really have infertility or going through IVF, but have had a miscarriage. If you're naturally getting pregnant, and we've talked about this, and you miscarry, you know, usually the main reason is genetics, we tested every embryo so he's like when you you start losing that many genetically normal embryos this is not about being on the wrong side of luck anymore there is a clear underlying biological problem that's happening and with immunology he said our low hcg the sort of like slow progression of a pregnancy is exactly what is most common when you struggle with reproductive immunology with this genetic mismatch. It's your body's tolerance for this pregnancy. So for me, this was a clear answer. I think we ran into a million other things that went wrong, whether it was my endo, whether it was, you know, you had a fever, whether it was I had a septum, you know, whether it was the right or wrong protocol, I think-
1: But the overarching main mystery, I suppose, was an immune issue.
0: Yes, and I think
1: that- for getting and staying pregnant. For
0: getting and yeah. staying pregnant. Yeah. I mean, we just had all these other little mysteries and we solved those.
1: Just to summarize, I mean, this is satisfying, I think, for us and, you know, for listeners out there for the podcast, like mystery solved, I think, in a certain sense, right? We had all these little micro problems that killed us along the way. But then eventually, you know, four and a half years in, we realized that this immune issue was probably just not allowing us to stay pregnant. Um, But like, you know, and you called it sweet at a certain point, (laughs) but like how devastating, I suppose, was this? I mean, we'll get to it, but this obviously made the surrogacy component a lot more important as you still kind of tried to weigh the options of potentially doing the IVIG treatment.
0: Right. I think I was, I think like, really, I was just tired. And I think like, if this happened earlier in the journey, I think... Maybe, oh God, this is, you know, a devastating diagnosis and it's going to be an uphill battle and I'm going to have to go through all these treatments and what happens if it doesn't work? And I would have been in that sort of anxious cycle. And I feel like I was just too tired to be in any more anxious cycles. And like I said, I think I've gone through four pregnancies where, you know, my hope in the beginning when we started years ago was to have this magical, beautiful pregnancy. And I think just infertility and pregnancy loss stole that from me forever. And I was never going to have a pregnancy (laughs) that was fulfilling in the way that I wanted it to be. So I feel like I was a little jaded and I was at the point where I was like, I need (laughs) a baby earth side and I need to now worry about Will our embryos work in a surrogate? And that was the main thing on my mind and my first priority. So there really wasn't any room to think about anything else. In the, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, let me figure out if I'm going to go through with these treatments, but we got to get this surrogate pregnant.
1: Well, that's the other thing to point out, and we'll talk about it later too, is that, yes, we believed the immune issue was our issue, But like, I don't know, like crazier things happen. Like, what if there was some, another issue with our embryos that like, what if we did have the immune issue? That's why you couldn't stay pregnant. But there was some other issue why a surrogate couldn't even get pregnant. Like, what if our embryos are still bad somehow? Well,
0: what I started to think, I mean, we really hit all this bad luck along the way as we talked about all the hiccups to even get to this point. And my, my next thought, it's hard after you get so much bad news is to think what if we also have another issue? And then there was also, you know, after hearing this news, you know, even the doctor's like, you may want to test your surrogate to see with that match of genetics that we have to make sure that she doesn't have the same issue. And you want to find a surrogate that would be the perfect match for your embryo. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, like this just seems so complicated at this point that... I just, all I could think about was like, we we thought the stakes were high before. The stakes could have never been higher. Now it was like this, this embryo of ours needs to work in a surrogate.
1: So we spoke in the last episode about starting the surrogacy kind of journey and reaching out to agencies and just kind of understanding the process because both of us were... Pretty ignorant to that. I mean, that's what a lot of IVF is, right? Like you go into something not knowing and then you come out of it being an expert. Right. (laughs) But we weren't experts at that point. But so we started that process. We're talking to some agencies, looking at bios, but not shockingly, you kind of weren't coming across anything... That you liked or, you know, people, you know, they have these bios and some people didn't want that much contact. Some people were in, you know, other states and like all this stuff. Yeah. There's
0: just a lot that goes into it. I feel like it's kind of like dating where you have to like pick and choose what means the most to you in a relationship. And because you're never going to get it all. And like you said, whether it's you know, they live in a different state, which would mean that you're not at scans, whether it's, you know, they don't want to have a lot of communication, which could be anxiety inducing, or it's their stats, which is really weird to look at. You're looking at someone's stats and you're gambling. Will this person be the best person to have a successful pregnancy?
1: Well, yeah, because I I think, you know, I might be wrong, I forget, but I I think you may have like casually sent Dr. Beck a couple of these like bios and she like nixed a couple of them for various medical reasons. Right,
0: and then you think you find someone and there was a few that I was like, oh, this feels like a good match. And then Dr. Beck's like, no, I I didn't like this medical issue and I didn't like that. And you get all of this, like there has to be, you know, so, so much criteria that they have to meet medically to become a surrogate. But beyond that, you know, there's like, Did she have a cesarean? Did she give birth early on her third surrogacy? Did she get a high blood pressure note, you know, in week 12? There's just so many different things that you're looking at. And then you're worrying like, oh, will that be a problem when we move forward?
1: Not to do, you know, surrogacy 101, but obviously there's different kinds of surrogacy. Like there's a surrogacy we did that's like we're putting in our embryo that we made together and what's it it's called a, a gestational, gestational carrier so carrier.
0: surrogate. I always love the analogy like our bun her oven, you know, like her uterus is uh the home for our genetic embryo, but there are other types of surrogacy journeys whether it's you're using, you know, the surrogates eggs and you know, so you have donor eggs mixed with a partner's sperm, and then they're also carrying the pregnancy to term. So there's, you know, obviously a bunch of different ways that a surrogacy journey goes.
1: So we got pretty lucky, I think, like fairly, you know, we talked about sending a couple names to Dr. Beck, but just as a like, hey, check this person out. Like, what do you think? Um, But pretty early on in our search, you came across someone who really jumped out at you.
0: Yes. Michaela. I just like, Was reading, you know, they're pages long, and I was like, "How is this person (laughs) like have had this many pregnancies? Five pregnancies, and there was like no markings whatsoever. Just you know, blood pressure good, BMI good, you know, thirty nine weeks every single time, vaginal deliveries, no issues, no complications. And then like the craziest thing was that she did three surrogacies, and every pregnancy, when she went through IVF, it worked the first time, which as we talk about, that's not always the case. There's many surrogates that, you know, the first time around it fails, there's a miscarriage and then the second time works. And I just thought, oh my goodness, she hit the jackpot three times in a row. Like this is our person.
1: But probably the only mark against her was she wasn't in California. So she was in a different state, which Could you think of another thing in life that's like less controlled than like putting your prized embryo in another person? So it's like then they're in another state. So that was the only thing where I was like, oh Tara. And
0: also me, can you imagine? Could you also imagine just like the match of anyone? (laughs) Or if we go
1: with or if we go with this person, like God bless that person for having to field like your inquiries on a
0: but you know what was weird? You cared more about the different state than I did. I think, and it's crazy thinking about it, I was so traumatized by doctor's appointments that I feel like I felt relief that, you know, I maybe didn't have to go in person.
1: Yeah. And as we don't look at him, um, we Guys. mentioned this in the open, but Sullivan has woken up from his nap and he's laying down. down. Okay. So just keep talking. He's there. He just, he's really interested in the surrogate conversation. Right. And now a quick word from our sponsors.
0: First Response is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and provide accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. First Response knows that when testing for pregnancy, you want to be sure of your result. That's why they created Comfort Check, a pregnancy test kit that helps you test confidently and conveniently. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is a value pack containing eight total tests, three first response early result tests, and five first response pregnancy test strips, allowing women to test early and often for added reassurance. First Response's early result test included in the Comfort Check Kit is their number one best-selling pregnancy test. It detects all major forms of the pregnancy hormone commonly found in urine and is over 99% accurate from the day of your expected period, with results ready to be read in just three minutes. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is available for purchase in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. I've talked before about how lonely the infertility journey can be and how finding adequate support can be so difficult which is why it's so refreshing when a brand pulls through offering information and products from a place of experience. I'm talking about Bird & Bee, a prenatal supplement brand founded by women and fertility doctors who have been through infertility themselves. They know that not all prenatals are created equal and their doctors dug deep into the science to create supplements that support you, whether you're trying at home or pursuing fertility treatment. I love that Bird & Bee's preconception prenatal, The Power's, contain all the doctor-recommended ingredients. But they take it a step further by also including important antioxidant support from CoQ10 and NAC to optimize egg health, support egg quality, and fend off everyday stressors. burden and Bee knows that fertility is a marathon, not a sprint, and is with you every step of the way. Head to birdandbee.com to get 15% off your first order with code UNEXPECTING15. I wanted to give you more information about Receptiva DX. I feel very lucky that I was able to take this test and remove some of the mystery out of my own fertility journey. A diagnosis of unexplained infertility is difficult and miscarriage is traumatic. So I'm thankful there's a test like Receptiva DX that can provide insight and answers that many people are desperately seeking. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that can help detect inflammatory conditions on the uterine lining that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. If you have experienced implantation failure or recurrent pregnancy loss, ask your doctor about Receptiva DX testing. If found, uterine inflammation can be treated, providing a new pathway to achieving a successful pregnancy. Treatment options can improve the chances for a successful live birth fivefold. To learn more, please visit receptivadx.com or ask your doctor if this test is right for you.
1: So at what point did you pass her name along to Dr. Beck and what was, you know, Dr. Beck kind of has to weigh in and approve it essentially.
0: Yeah, so right away I was like, you know, and that's another thing. Surrogates will go like within hours. If you don't jump on them, they're gone. You could look it over and, and write the agency. Oh, like I would like to talk with the surrogate and move forward. And they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. She's already taken. So, you know, I immediately sent it all over and I was like, please look at this unicorn and tell me what you think.
1: So we send the name off to Dr. Beck and the bio. And then I think the most important thing was eventually we have to talk to this potential surrogate to sort of feel out the vibes, and I think right. the most important thing for you, you tell me, was the con- not the contact, and we joke about like, oh, the control, and you're going to be talking to her every six minutes, but it's more than that. It is like, is this a surrogate, and there's nothing wrong with this, and maybe there's some women who prefer this, but like very by the book, so yeah, if you want to talk to me, talk to the agency, right. and, on the, and there's this pipeline of right. like how you do everything, and that's fine, and maybe you would have been fine with that, I don't know, but um I think you wanted to figure out like what kind of you know relationship maybe that she wanted this specific surrogate wanted to have with us.
0: Yeah, you know what's so interesting when you mention this? I think I like realize how far I came like emotionally throughout this journey by the time we reached this point because we laugh about this control and we we laugh about all these things, but I really was at the point where you know, even if the surrogate said I never want to speak to you, like, and I thought she was a good candidate to carry our embryo, I was 100% prepared to move forward with that. So for me, after we had this call, this Zoom call-
1: Yeah, so we get on a a Zoom, Zoom with her.
0: I just realized this was icing on the cake that she did want to have this connection and that that was, you know, obviously so many people, you know, I think surrogacy is- you know, complex and a little misunderstood at times and people can't really wrap their mind around, you know, well, this is just purely transactional. Like clearly it's, there is a transaction happening, but it is multi-layered and it is nuanced. And she told us sort of the story of you know, why she wanted to get into surrogacy. And I'm sure many people are like, oh yeah, I'm sure everyone has a story of why they want to do surrogacy. So it sounds a certain way. But, you know, when you talk to someone and you just pick up, you know, a vibe and she really wanted a connection, she had done two previous surrogacies where there really wasn't that connection. And Well, yeah,
1: they were. I This was the most interesting thing to me is they were international. international. So like she had zero contact essentially and it was you know sadly very transactional
0: right and and by the way guys we we talked to her about making sure that we can you know tell all of this story um but it was you know for her her last try she was like i want to do this one more time just to see if i could get what I wanted out of my journey. And it was interesting to hear her talk about her journey because you think it's so much about our journey and our baby. And it's like a journey for a surrogate. And she wanted something from that. And it just was like, we matched. We it, It's literally like dating. It's like when you're just like, this is my type of person.
1: Well, I think the coolest thing on that call, honestly, to me, was I think she probably I don't you know I don't know we'll have to ask her but like she went into that call not knowing anything about you or me or our story or like why we needed or wanted a surrogate and we talked about some of the like stereotypes of surrogacy like in the past maybe people who want to do it like just don't want to get pregnant or for uh, many reasons and again we've said this but like get a surrogate for whatever reasons you want it's like doesn't matter but I think she went into that call not knowing what our story was. Right. And so you on the call, obviously like wanted to give her background <laughs> and took her through our four and a half year journey and started crying. And I think, again, we'll have to ask her, but yeah, I think in that we'll moment, we'll get her on she,
0: air and we'll ask her.
1: <laughs> I think she realized that like, Oh wow. Like these people have been through a lot. Like for me to like give them this gift would be amazing. It was almost like I could almost see her like change, like not changing her attitude, but like, oh, wow, these people have like really gone through something. Right. This isn't going to be like a transactional series. Yeah, or I
0: mean, who who knows? She has no idea about us. I mean, we could have been just like, we're busy. We have, you know, really crazy careers. Uh, We're not able to like go through with a pregnancy. So you're going to have to carry it for us. Like she had no idea what our, our background and story, you know, was. Yeah,
1: so I think, I mean, you tell me like after that call where you sort of like, if all works well with the testing and Dr. Back that this that Michaelo's yes, the one.
0: I I did. And it's so funny. Like you would think that my personality, I would have felt like, oh, I need to like see more, talk to more people. And I was just like, no. Yeah.
1: This so, is Yeah. It. I mean, the only complication really was she was in a different state, which happens. Um, so that was gonna be a little tricky with zooming in or FaceTiming into appointments. But right. like you said, that was maybe a relief for, for me. You know. It was a it really was a relief. Once we sort of, I guess, pulled the trigger on a surrogate and kind of had the specific surrogate now, what What was the emotion? Was it a sense of relief? Was it like a little bit of sadness that you're like moving no, forward? fear,
0: pure fear. And that's like, again, what's so interesting when you get to these points, like people think about like surrogacy, like if you've had a natural pregnancy and you're a mom of two that has carried your kids, I'm sure you're like, this sounds like really hard. This sounds really difficult. But when you get to our place like none of it matters anymore. So it was like I, my brain didn't have time to occupy sadness, or you know, it, all it could think about was, is this gonna work? Like, are we finally, after you know, years and years, going to have a baby? And that's all I could think about. It was just fear at night. Just is is something wrong with the embryos? What was if the what was if we run into another issue? Like that's all. I was like on a little loop of that.
1: Yeah, it's weird because if you would have talked to me about surrogacy like five years ago, my 1A concern would have been like the control of like, well, how do I know this person's not like right. smoking crack when I'm not yeah, around? Yeah. Like this is my embryo inside yeah. this person. I'm trusting this person, but like- Or
0: connection or all these other kinda things. You kind of just get to
1: this point where you just want the baby so bad that like you're not, you trust the person. And obviously we-
0: We so- <laughs> 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 selected yeah. this person because
1: right. we knew she was an awesome person and was going to take care of right. our, our child. But like- you kind of just let go of those things. It's like, I don't know if she has a f- fucking beer one night. I don't No, I'm kidding. What? <laughs> I'm joking. Oh my God, I would
0: die. I mean, she has one edible. What's the what? big deal? Oh no. Okay, very different pages. But um, yeah, no, I was literally at the point, Todd, like if E.T. wanted to like deliver our baby, you know, on a flying bicycle, like I would have been like, count me in. If you were like, roll up to Taco Bell and like, this day, they're going to hand you a baby. I'm like, cool. Don't care. Just don't care how it gets here anymore. Just give it to me. And I think it's just so interesting how my mindset changed from like, oh, this magical thing that I need to experience to like, fuck that. I don't care. Like, I just want a baby. So I want to move on. I, you know, like how, and that was another thing. It was like, We spent so much time trying to get me pregnant. And yes, it's a beautiful experience for nine months. But then you get, you know, hopefully, you know, decades of memories with your actual child, Earthside. Like, I wanted that. And I was like, I don't want to be hung up anymore on nine months because how, you know, am I going to talk about these nine months for the rest of my life? Or am I going to be talking about the child, like sitting on your lap someday? And that's just like where my mindset was at this point.
1: I think like there's a lot of sci-fi references here, like talking about ET and now being earth side. Earthside.
0: <laughs> <mean? laughs> Bring BB <baby> earth side.
1: <laughs> so I think it's worth asking you too. So we've, you know, we've kind of committed, well, not kind of, we have committed yeah. to a surrogate. <laughs> what was your thinking with like you carrying, maybe doing IVIG, like what, you know, the timing of, was there any chance we'd like start the surrogacy process, try the embryo, and then maybe you'd simultaneously put in? Yeah. More, like
0: that's what was, that was sort of the plan, right? Like that it would have been cool. What do they call them? Like Irish twins kind of where you know, I spoke to Dr. Beck and we were like, okay, we're going to get her pregnant and then we're going to put me in, coach. And let's see if we have this really crazy, happy ending of like Irish twins. Um, so that definitely was was the plan at the time.
1: All right, so got to build this drama. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sixth, one, two, three, four, five, six. Transfer. Yeah. How was the process, just the build-up to that transfer different with a surrogate?
0: I was a mess. Like, what's so crazy you? is this? Yeah. <laughs> this should have been like the easiest of all the journeys that we had been on because, you know, it was not happening to my body. But I think that the stakes were really high. Was this embryo going to work in a surrogate? And if it didn't, what did that mean for our next steps and our life? And again, this process of having a baby for us was just taking so long, years. So in my mind, I was like, how many more years could yeah, we put in?
1: If I'm being honest, I probably like did not get my hopes up at all for this transfer. I was, because again, there's percentage chances even with like normal, healthy mm-hmm. you know, people and whatever, it's only a certain percentage. And it's like, We've had so many failures that it was just like, okay, Todd, this isn't going to work the first time. So just prepare yourself for maybe, maybe it'll work on the second or third one, but it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be easy for us because it never is.
0: Right. It's just, it it's just fucking never easy. So
1: although I say that and I'm sure in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh my God, please, just like, this would be so unbelievable if it just if like, it worked. worked and just, you've obviously mentioned it well, but like. Yeah, there was still a fear of like, we may never have biological kids. And that right. was always something we wanted. And, you know, that would have been something to grieve and let go of. Yes, if, that would have. it wasn't in the cards. Yeah,
0: that would have been, you know, that next step that we would have to face together. And I think like, that was sort of my big fear of if it, if it doesn't work.
1: And I do think you said this was like, so nerve wracking for you. Like you... The emotions and the internal struggle you were having was like taking a physical toll. I remember, I think you got like COVID. You were just like very worn down around this
0: yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, and that's like, it It all kind of coincided at this, this point. You know, we were making all these big decisions. When am I going to try and when am I going to do another transfer, go through treatment and the surrogate? And it was like my body finally was like, screw you. I am just so tired. And the last DNC I bled for a a few months and I just, the fatigue I had at the, you know, I, I was like, these dark circles were showing up under my eyes. I remember I was like, literally falling asleep everywhere we went and I could barely get upstairs. Like I was like so exhausted and I got tested and I was anemic and, you know, it was just like, I think I put my body through the ringer. And then now we're right back in it with the surrogate with these crazy high stakes. And I just think my body kind of like gave up on me a little bit there where I lost like six pounds in two weeks as we were preparing for this transfer because I was that nervous. Like I was just so nauseated all day long that I couldn't eat. Like I was just... You know, I don't know. A little nervous, Nelly, running around the house, probably driving you crazy.
1: So we've talked extensively, obviously on the podcast, about what that experience is like going in for a transfer. So, you know, weeks before we were going to do this transfer with the surrogate, um, you thinking about that. You know, we talked about like we're playing music. Like yeah. you're the you're the center yeah. of attention. You're on the yeah. bed. You're getting ready. You're taking all the stuff. I'm like i getting out. my
0: Valium. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get oh, a Valium.
1: Getting your drugs. Yeah, <laughs> we got it. <laughs> You're a drug addict. Uh, no. um, yeah, like you were, it's a our intimate moment. Right. And so thinking about it, like adding another person into that, was that hard for you? Or how were you thinking about what that transfer was going to be like?
0: So I think it was interesting. I was just worried, like I said, about the fear of the, if this was going to work and there wasn't really time to like worry about any other part of the surrogacy journey that I think most common people would think about like, oh, the connection and I'm not carrying it and all of these things. But I think I did before the transfer get a little like confused. I was like, wait a minute. Like you said, like, wait, I'm not getting in the the bed and the gown. And I just didn't, I didn't think that I was going to like it. Like, I felt like I was going to feel uncomfortable a little bit. I felt like I was going to be sad. And I remember talking to, you know, my mom and and my friends of just like, oh, this is going to be really hard for me. This is like, I'm doing it for our potential baby, but like, this is going to be hard for me. And um, so I walked in that day and it was the craziest thing. It like changed everything I thought about surrogacy, at least for me. You know, I feel like I suited up in the the gown that you My usually outfit. yeah wear. <laughs> and it was the first time that I met Michaela face-to-face. So we were talking, an immediate connection and just chit-chatting, chit-chatting so much that Dr. Beck's like, we got to get back there. So we had a plan where I was going to FaceTime you because they only allow one person back there. And... um you know, I think what just happened is I I got in the room and so much is going on. the The embryologist is kind of there. They show you your embryo. You want to make sure that it thawed and it's expanding and it's doing all the things. And you're kind of watching the embryologist. And I'm frantically asking her, like, "Oh, how does it look?" And you know, Dr. Beck, how does it look? And then like, you know, your surrogate's on the table and you want to make sure that she's relaxed and that everyone's relaxed and everyone's going to do their their best job possible. And I was supposed to
1: call you. I didn't make the cut.
0: And he didn't make the cut because again.
1: <laughs> Picture this- me sadly on the couch, <laughs> like staring at my phone, just like, please FaceTime me. FaceTime. I want to see the spark of life. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, been four and a half years. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, we, this is the climax and I'm it, not a part of it. We
0: saw it four times and and nothing happened. So like the the, the moral of that story was, I was so concerned about how I was going to feel about this connection. And was I going to feel so weird that I wasn't the one on the table and wasn't getting the embryo and then seeing the embryo on the screen. And I am telling you not a moment of sadness, not a moment of emotion other than fear. Again,
1: fear. Just an example of like one emotion just outweighing every other emotion you may expect to feel because you were just so fearful that this wasn't going to
0: work. And I, Yeah, exactly that. I just didn't have time. And that's why like, unfortunately I feel really bad, but like I made the call to not FaceTime you because it was, you know, it's chaotic in that moment. And I'm like, I want everyone relaxed. I want Dr. Beck not to be hearing, you know, muffly FaceTime noise. And I just want everyone to concentrate. Let's just get this embryo into the perfect, like Dr. Beck and I would laugh, the like the perfect landing position, like the skating term, we just got to, we got to land it. And I just was like, that's all we need to do in here. And I walked out and I was like, oh my God, I was so worried because I was like, am I going to go through this surrogacy feeling like a lack of connection or upset that it's not in me? And this was like, you know, a surprise that I felt like this because I thought I was going to be like, "Mm, it felt a little funny, but I got through it and it just didn't.
1: Yeah. So walking out of there, I mean, again, we've talked about this in transfers. It's a weird feeling because yeah, Dr. Beck said it. She implanted (laughs) it perfectly, but like, that's not really the issue, um, especially the issues that we had. So when you walked out, did you feel good? Did you feel like, again, it's just wait till day five, (laughs) the wait till day five, I guess, really.
0: The wait till day five. I just was like, how am I? I mean, like I said, I was just struggling to get through the days because the anxiety was so high. And I just was like, okay, Tara, remember I was like ordering very high calorie meals. I'd be like every day, I'm like, Let's just order a Shake Shack. A lot of Shake Shack. <laughs> a lot of Shake Shack. Whenever
1: Tara or like suggests we order Shake Shack, I'm like, oh, she's like nervous and stressed and feels like she's losing too much weight. Yeah.
0: Because that's what happens. And then I'm like, I gotta, I gotta put it back on. Get me the
1: the
0: the Shake Shack. Get me the French fries. Get me the milkshake.
1: Yeah, shake. we have an interesting chart of like weight loss and weight gain. Whenever you're losing so much weight, I'm gaining a ton <laughs> because I'm eating like Shake Shack and
0: Exactly
1: Taco Bell. <laughs> Um, But really, you know, we're joking, but those, I know it's only a few days, but those like five days in between, you were like really stressed waiting for that first test.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking about the call and what they were going to say. Is she pregnant? Is she not? Or is she pregnant? And are we going to go through beta hell again?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, that was one of my big concerns is like, the ex- getting sort of the exact same numbers or the mm-hmm. same looking line as you had had or worse because that instantly my mind would have been like, okay, same thing. Like same thing. we have some issue with our yeah. embryos. And it's over. Um, Another theme of the podcast has been life does go on. We have jobs and that complicates all of this. And, you know, when you're waiting those five days till that test, you would love to be like, on the couch, relaxed and, you know, just in the right state of mind, but you actually had a skating, a work, a skating competition. So like, how did that add to the complication of this?
0: Well, yes, I had to go to a skating competition. And of course, like anything in IVF,
1: like it always
0: lands on like the worst possible time. And I was like, Dude, I need to just sit home on the couch and concentrate. Like let my little hamster in my mind like go on its loop. Like I gotta work. Like I've gotta be on live television and like spew facts and be really sharp. Like this is not great timing. Um, but I went there and of course the first day was gonna be the day that she did was day five. Right? <laughs> day
1: five. Well, I for I don't remember this. Like You obviously, I mean, it's sort of your and the surrogate's decision when you start testing. So you guys just decided for your sanity to do a day five for just that data point, I guess, right?
0: Yes. And I mean, that's another thing to talk about communication. Like a lot of people, as we mentioned, like go through the agency and we'll speak with them and they don't really talk to the surrogate. We were already just like texting. best friends. Yeah. (laughs) best (laughs) friends, texting. And we're like, cool, day five, let's do it. And And that was
1: day one of your competition. my event.
0: (laughs) Fun times. Yeah.
1: So just take me through that and how that went down and what the results were.
0: So day five morning, she sends me a text with a picture of a pregnancy test and she follows it up with, I don't see a line.
1: Not not good. (laughs) Not good. I was
0: like, okay, I, I mean, just like you know, when you're, we talked about hamstring fuzzies, when you see some like medical, you know, disgusting thing on TV. Well, I use, I, I get like arm fuzzies when it's like the anxiety gets so, so much that like, I just like freeze. And I was like, ah, like, what is happening? But I was like, okay, just give it a minute, let it dry for a second, send me like a video, send me a text. And cause I was like, I think I
1: see a line. Well, so it's (laughs) worth pointing out that like, and this is almost funny and just so indicative of these journeys is Michaela, you know, she, as you said, she had all these like A plus pregnancies, probably as we've talked about is one of these people who took one pregnancy test on day eight or whenever, where she missed a period, like whatever. Right. And saw a big, thick, juicy (laughs) line and like threw away the pregnancy test. So like, I, you know, I don't know this for sure, but maybe that's the first day five test she's ever taken and didn't kind of get the like squinter. Because again, if you would have handed me that five years ago, I'd been like, "This, there's no, no lying here.
0: Right, right. Like we're
1: not right. like messing with the contrast and taking nine yeah. pictures at different angles and seeing if there's like some little HCG number there. So she kind of was unaware Better of that.
0: Better call Lipinski squinter <laughs> <laughs> pro here.
1: <laughs> we should, that could be our business actually. I would love it. It's like, you know, people sell lemonade outside their house. You can do like a squinter stand.
0: Yeah, and you know I like that kind of Anyone stuff. Anyone
1: in Los Angeles, if you need a squinter, yeah. if you want to know your HCG and just want to yeah. take a pregnancy Hit me test. Up.
0: literally DM me. I love it.
1: No, not D, the point is that it's a lemonade stand.
0: Oh, I actually get paid for this.
1: It's actually a combo. You can get lemonade ten, and ten cents. your yeah. test thread. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I asked her to send me videos and, you know, other pictures, like let it dry for a second, let me look. And, um, you know... I looked at it and, you know, I did see a faint, faint line, but I was even really squinting for it, which, you know, I've seen many of my own day five pregnancy tests. And I was like, oh, wow, that like mine actually at one point were darker.
1: Well, that's so, you know, just to stop you, it's like that was by far the most upsetting thing that probably could have happened in this transfer. And for this pregnancy test. It was literally what we were talking about, like worst nightmare, the maybe beta hell. happening. Like worse, actually, like, uh, you know, I looked at these tests too, and I remember kind of trying to lie to you or whatever when you're like showing me your tests and you're like, is this darker? And I'm like, oh, fuck, like it is darker than hers. So I immediately, my mind goes to like, oh, okay, here we here are we for go. another six, seven here weeks. Here we and, go. Yeah. And, and you, again, to complicate things, you're, I mean, do you remember- like where you were in terms of like your work day when that was going on? That was still
0: early in the morning. So, but the problem was, is like, I had to get ready. I am doing hair and makeup and interviews. And it just was like that feeling where I was just so anxious. Like, I don't know. I just like, was like a kind of zombie kind of running down, you know, filling Johnny in on everything, just trying to like get through the days and concentrate on work because like, obviously I really care about what I do and I wanted to- do a great job. But, you know, it's just exhausting to have something like this simultaneously going on in your life. And then just the thought on, you know, now you can't do anything. You have to wait till the next day to see the pregnancy test. So, I
1: mean, did you think it was kind of like game over at that point?
0: Truthfully, I, truthfully, I did. I really did. And, you know, I'm sure I definitely didn't tell Michaela. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that. Um, Why well, do you
1: remember that? I remember you sort of just not wanting to concern her. No,
0: I didn't want her to be concerned and you know, I just was like I don't know, this there's maybe something wrong with our embryos.
1: Yeah, I mean even me and we've talked about this, I, you know, in the last few episodes I've kind of lost some of the optimism but I still generally even at my lowest points would always be the like, it's still like let's yeah. just yeah. wait, like maybe like really, just trying to like turn the mood yeah. around, and even on this, it yeah, was, you're like, it's like, ugh, like, screw it, I don't know. Well, no, I, I think I was in the back of my head still, maybe like a little optimistic, but just again, like, we're not stupid. Like when right. you see patterns, yeah, <laughs> like we're humans, we yes. recognize these like very obvious patterns. patterns. So this was again just the same pattern. So it was like a tough pill to swallow. It not. was because I think the thing too is that what we were excited about was like. What if, like, we get a surrogate, the transfer goes perfectly, there's a massive line on day five. Like, there's no Well, There's issues never gonna be a crazy
0: massive line well, on no, day five. No, okay. So <laughs> my point is like yeah.
1: something like can something just be easy for us right. at this point? And it just felt like history repeating itself with right. like another kind of difficult right. thing.
0: And then day six happens, and so day five and day six, it was like in that that zone where yes, there definitely was a line. It got slightly darker. But you're in that gray area. And that is why testing on day five and day six, like you have to have a very discerning eye and an open mind of understanding that like you're not going to see this crazy thick line and this crazy progression. Like, but when you've been through it as many times as I have, I just kind of know, right? And I was like still really nervous on day six. And I can tell you those two days while I was working, I like couldn't eat. I had like stomach eggs. I was just like, I know Johnny and I were like running up to, because everything's live and what we do. And I was like, Johnny, my stomach, like, you know, like that acid in your chest feeling, it almost felt like I was like having chest pains. I'm like, Johnny, I can't get on. And he's like, okay. And he's like running me into the athletes, like, you know, medical center. And like, they're like Tara Lipinski, like, you know, now I'm a broadcaster. I'm not like an athlete. They're throwing medicine at me. And I'm like, guzzling, Johnny's like getting me water bottles. And we're like, it's just like chaos, like running up to the set. And then like, I'm like, ah. and then again, it's like, what a beautiful balletic <laughs> program that was like. Everything. Shen, the <laughs>
1: quad <king. laughs>
0: So it's just like those weird things that Anyone else on the outside watching that week would be like, oh, how exciting. She's at like a big event. And then backstage, there's just a lot more going on.
1: Yeah. So you were, no pun intended, spiraling. Spiraling Um,
0: at a skating
1: event. But it did sort of get better, right? In the next two days.
0: So fast forward by day eight and especially day nine, this line was progressing like dramatically. And way different than any of my tests and how they progressed in the past. It was just like, oh wow, this is this is how pregnancy tests should look as you go from day to day. Yeah. so
1: uh, you know, to f- almost complete our point we made two minutes ago, it's like this was now finally like a break in the right. pattern that we this was
0: finally a break. Like it was literally the, the this the hardest part. Wasn't even if it was going to work or not, like almost if she didn't get pregnant, like, and there was no line, I would have been more at ease than if she got pregnant and the same thing that happened to us happened to her. That was my biggest fear. Because in my mind, I kept saying that it was almost like weird. I almost was like, like maybe she shouldn't get pregnant, Like, but that's like defeating the purpose. But I was so afraid of deja vu happening again. And finally by you know, day eight, day nine, I was like, this is looking good.
1: Yeah. And then she takes in like a blood test, the HCG test. And it's, I think like 303. 303. Which is great.
0: It was a great number, which was like, you know, Erica, my nurse calls me and she's like, oh my goodness, like 303, what a strong number. Like, here we go, you know? And it was just this like crazy, surreal moment. And again, you're just like so nervous and these are the moments where you realize like you forget all about like any issue you might have with surrogacy and you are so damn
1: grateful. Yeah, just appreciative of that person who might be doing something a little better than we could have done.
0: Right. Just so appreciative of her and then just, you know, kind of just grateful that something was going right.
1: So then I think the next day you got the progesterone level back. And again, you're on live TV and trying to like field calls and deal yeah. with some stress. And
0: then of course, like, so how it works, you get your HCG level and then the progesterone level, that progesterone level usually takes a little longer. And I don't remember, it was the weekend. So we got it the next day and I open up the message and I was like feeling confident and everything. And you want like a nice high progesterone level. And it was, I can't remember, 19 or 16. And it was just on like that lower side, like still okay. We're kind of
1: like where you probably had been. Right, exactly.
0: And I was like... So
1: back to the like, oh my gosh, this is like where we were.
0: Right. And then like, if you really want to get into it, like you always want to have like really good progesterone support to continue the pregnancy, you know, regardless of if, if it was something that was mimicking our issue or just in general, you know, pregnancy, you want that progesterone support. So I was just like it's a weekend. I'm about to go on live for like the biggest event of the the weekend. I'm trying to get a hold of like the doctor and, you know, talking to Michaela. She's kind of telling me, oh, this is making sense. Like my progesterone, you know, suppositories aren't really dissolving quite well. It's different than they were when I did the mock cycle. And I'm just like, literally at this point on live television. Like this all, like, it's not like I can put that down and be like, I'm not going to worry about it. Cause like, I wouldn't get a hold of anyone if we waited much longer. It's already almost nighttime. And we were like sitting, doing a live shot. And I like, just was like, I actually had like Johnny's phone, my phone. Cause I was like trying to get two people. And I was like, okay, hold on one second. And I like would put it under my butt. And then I would be like you know, I would do like our open on camera and then like we'd turn around and I would like hold the cough button and I'd be like, okay, I'm going on the air right now. Like should, you know, what should, what should we do this? And I would be like, Michaela, like what will, and it was just like this, like crazy, I like multitasked, like nobody's business that night. But
1: Tara Gannon's probably like, what the fuck <laughs> what is, is this? What is happening? <laughs> what is my life? It's- I used to commentate this girl. Now she's next to me, like to- swapping phones.
0: Totally normal. <laughs> um, it's kind of when we do our best work, when there's high energy.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a stressful few weeks. From, yeah, it was from definitely. From the transfer to... Than the dreaded heartbeat scan. So Right.
0: So I think that's like the next point here is like, yes, we were so happy. And in this moment, we crossed one little hurdle that looked different than what we went through. But then now we spend, you know, the next three weeks, two weeks. Yeah, almost three weeks doing beta testing where she goes every two days to get blood work to see if her numbers are doubling. And then just looking ahead of the dreaded heartbeat scan.
1: Yeah. Psychologically for you, what was that like kind of leading up to and thinking about the heartbeat scan?
0: What I could compare it to is, you know, like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you have all these crazy thoughts and you're like, wait a minute, why am I worrying about this? Like this seems awful and you can't go to bed and you keep thinking about it and then you wake up and you're like, oh, that's so silly that I was thinking like that in the middle of the night. Like everything's fine. I just felt like that's how I was kind of not only sleeping, but also just like through my days. Like if I look back at that time period, it was just that constant, maybe irrational at times, or maybe not because we had a lot of (laughs) trauma that built up and caused all this PTSD and, um, you know, caused this anxiety to happen. So I think it was just like, I didn't even want to have the heartbeat scan, which is the craziest thing. Like I, I was terrified of it. I, I just didn't even think of how I was going to like get through that appointment. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. This episode has been sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. Their Comfort Check Pregnancy Kit and all other products are available for purchase in store and online.